Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the AP Oddcast. Before we begin, I do have a little apology for you guys. I did say in the last episode that Alex was going to be back on this one, but it is true that I did lie to you guys. Alex is not back yet, but I can promise you Alex will be back in the future, so stay tuned for that. For this episode, I've got Adam Johnson back with me. Hello. Uh, How are you doing today, Adam? I'm doing good. How was it recording your very first episode last week? Uh, it was good. A little ner- nerve-wracking, obviously, but overall, I really enjoyed it. Speaking with Jack and Trinity was a great time, and I'm really looking forward to future episodes. Perfect. And we've got quite the guest here today. We've got one another one of our advisors, Paul. How are you doing today, Paul? I'm doing great. How are you? We're doing all right. So for those that might not know you, why don't you go ahead and give us a little background info on yourself, what you're doing now and what you study to Purdue and that sort of thing. Uh, so my name is Paul Tobalt. I am a penny in, in body and in heart of a fall 2017 pledge, a spring 2018 graduate from Purdue University. I was a law and society major. I minored in naval science due to my time with the Navy ROTC, as well as history with a, a focus on post-Depression, uh, World War I, World War II, as well as post-Reconstruction law as part of the uh, Law and Society degree. Currently, I am a first lieutenant in the Marine Corps. I have just under three years in active duty. I am currently a logistics officer. Um, my current role is as a company executive officer. I oversee the training and the administration for 185 Marines stationed here at Campbell's in North Carolina. Wow, that's quite the resume you got there. <laughs> I won't say that. <laughs> <laughs> what, what interests you to join the Marines then? your naval science background? My family has a pretty strong and pretty deep uh, military lineage. Um, I'm an army brat by birth and by by lineage. I'm the first Marine in the family. In high school, I had the opportunity to do the junior ROTC, which kind of taught me the leadership traits, principles, the general orders, the history of the Marine Corps um, that we as Marines today celebrate so true to our hearts. And I was all about it. I was all about the team aspect. I was all about the opportunity to grow and to develop as a leader. Got to Purdue, was fortunate enough to earn a scholarship to attend the ROTC program, to attend Purdue, and underwent some pretty intensive training uh, all throughout all four years. Made myself better mentally, morally, physically. Grew as a leader, both servant, peer-to-peer, public speaking. And from there, commissioned as a second lieutenant and carried on, graduated from Purdue to go do big Marine Corps things. That's awesome. Those are really amazing ideals that you had to inspire you to do this thing. Uh, Out of curiosity, you mentioned your family has background in the military. I know a little bit from my friend who's in the Marines that there's a bit of a schism between Army people and Marine people. I'm just wondering if that that affects you at all. um, Where I work, not, not so much because I do work around solely Marines, but and I've got friends that are officers and enlisted men um, in all all of the services, Navy, Army, Air Force. And it's all it's all friendly competition. It's all friendly, friendly banter. Definitely, <laughs> definitely some competition between, you know, career progression and what each of us are able to do. I've had friends deploy all over the world in support of NATO, in support of other operations. Some have seen some sort of combat. So it's very, very interesting to see where life takes all of us. I've had the fortune of staying here at home with, with COVID and with everything else, but I've still been able to grow and develop as a Marine officer still nonetheless. And we can go into that a little bit more later if you're interested, but I'm happy to hear what questions you guys have. 
Yeah, one of my friends actually just enlisted in the Marines, which is pretty crazy. I think he's doing his Hell Week, he said, or something like that pretty soon. So what kind of advice could I give him? It's all mental. A big inspiration that I took coming through, because I had my own struggles as far as uh, physical and mental, um, coming through and like getting indoctrinated isn't the best word, but it's the word I'm going to use. Um, <laughs> your, your body will push you past your point of mental limitation if you break down that mental barrier. Your mind is your weakest link and your mind stops at 80%, your 80% capacity. And David Guidance has a great Joe Rogan podcast episode that talks about that. I recommend that for anyone who, who has ever kind of encountered that mental block, that mental limitation with uh, breaking down that barrier. Um, you, you can accomplish a lot if you uh, get past the mental misconceptions. My friend, uh, Sam, I, last year, I'm pretty sure he finished boot camp before COVID happened. Yeah. But I remember like, hearing about what it was like for him in boot camp and just like how crazy that was for him. Yeah. The, so, especially what, what, what was the thing at the end? The crucible? Yeah. The crucible oh is a very, <laughs> very intense event. Very, very intense. So officers go through a different type of training. So I never had the luxury of doing that. But the, the Marine Corps, <laughs> so the good parts of Marine Corps boot camp are made to build or to break the, the recruit down and get them out of the, the me, the what's in it for me, the with them. Um, mentality and work together as a team and to work toward a brotherhood cause. Um, while the, the dark aspects have kind of clouded that, the overall premise of Marine Corps recruit training is that very principle. And so coming out of, out of boot camp, they are well-oiled, well-bred team players. And that's something that I stress in my workplace is getting back to that because this whole thing, the, the Marine Corps concept and life in general doesn't work if you're not a teammate to somebody. Yeah, and that definitely can help in any area, really. Absolutely. So jumping back to your time at Purdue, we on the AP Podcast are trying to build a rather extensive list of the best classes out there. Was there any class that really stuck out to you as the best or your favorite, anything like that? This one has been said before, but I will hit it home again because I took it freshman year and it was my absolute favorite class. Society, culture, and rock and roll taught, yes. by the, taught by the late, great Michael Morrison. Michael Morrison was the most energetic, passionate, interactive professor that I had at my time at Purdue. Like, I think standing on desks talking about Beatlemania and the Sex Pistols and <laughs> everything music under the moon from the 1890s all the way to present day. Just an incredible person to know, like personally, but also an incredible teacher who really cared about his craft and cared that his students were learning it. Hmm, something that maybe hasn't been hit so much. I really appreciated SOS 382, racial and ethnic diversity. As a, as a law and society major, most of my uh, course studies were sociology based. So I was able to get a kind of dip my hands into many pots as far as sociology and understanding where we as people come from, and especially with Purdue as, as a divert, one of the most diverse campuses in the country, having that pool of people to learn from and learn their experiences and have creative, constructive conversations with in person, online, et cetera, it was super, super informative for me. And it helped tie me into my third choice, Eastern Religions. I don't know the course number or anything like that, but learning about the Eastern religions from Taoism, Sikhism, 
Islam and some of the other ones that uh, we might know, not know so much about uh, Zoroastrianism. Very, very diverse group of people, very diverse um, religion and experiences. And my recommendation and my suggestion for anyone who is really puzzled on what to study or has some, some space in their time to fill up with a class or two, definitely look into those weird classes that you kind of look at and your eyebrows kind of raise, jump into them. Because those classes are the ones where you're going to get a lot of your, uh, you're going to get a lot of worth from those classes. Yeah, I took so that exact class. I believe it was with Professor David Dukes. It was one of the most interesting times I've had at Purdue, just because it really challenged you to think differently about things, to look at things differently. And I learned a heck of a lot about how to write better persuasive papers and like analyze all sorts of different context, historical contexts and all kinds of things. Yeah, those sound like amazing classes. That rock one, whew, I, if I had the chance, I'm absolutely taking class. <laughs> it fills up quick. I know historically, I'm sure it still does. Um, absolutely. I can't, I can't praise it enough. It's an awesome class. Absolutely. Well, besides your recommendations for taking those classes, do you have any other advice that you might offer to an underclassman? get involved, whether it's with a service organization or with a club based on your major, or I know there's some dance ones tall, uh, intramurals for sure. Find ways to break the monotony of classes, of schoolwork. It, it sounds like a lot because you're adding more to your plate, you're adding more to your schedule, but getting more interactive, getting more involved with things around campus is a great way to, to kind of break the mental stress that that Purdue's courses come with, as I'm, I'm, just, I'm sure you guys are very well aware. The, the best thing I did in my time at, uh, at Purdue was join APO, even if it was three years too late. So speaking of joining APO, how did you end up finding us in the first place? Okay, so my childhood best friend was a member, is an alumni of the Alpha Rho chapter at the University of Texas, Austin. And for my first three years of college, metaphorically shaking my shoulders like, hey, you really enjoy service. You really enjoy people. You're maybe not fitting in so well with the ROTC people because of the type of people that most of those guys are. And I'm definitely not one of those guys. She like shaking my shoulders like, hey, look into this, get involved. And for me, with the prerequisites that I had to get done in order to get ready to commission into the Marine Corps, I kind of put that thought on the back burner until I said, hey, my senior year is here. My advanced training is done. I have some time. And in the fall of 2017, I was walking through Memorial Mall and Michael Abate and Divya Vimpati were tabling. And Divya like saw me walking by. I've got headphones in. I'm, I'm dead to the world. And she's like, hey, you know, she's handing me the flyers like, hey, come try this out. See what we're about. And Michael comes over and is just, you know, singing the praises of Alpha Phi Omega and the membership aspect, which he was a huge part of. And the last call out was that night and it was a game night in the office. I think we were doing some form of Jeopardy maybe. And um, it just really, it, I had a great time. Everyone was super relaxed and funny and we made a really good time out of it. And we ended up staying like three hours past the end of the event. I think that was a Wednesday. That Friday night was induction. Um, and from there... Uh, the rest is history. Well, nice. That's so funny that you mentioned that the way you found out about APO specifically was walking through Memorial Mall because that's exactly how I found about out about APO. Also, I was walking through Memorial Mall and there are people tape tabling. 
But yeah, you you say this is you're completely grateful for being here. What's the best APO memory of all your time you've had here? Oh God. Put you in the um, spot here, but let's hear it. <laughs> oh God, you really are. Um so I'd say probably I've got a lot of them. Don't get me wrong. I they're all pretty up there close to each other, but I'd say my one of my all-time favorites was uh one of my first ones, our smoker, my pledge semester. We were doing a big project out at Columbia Park Zoo. We had people moving mulch and wheelbarrows. We had people doing other things that I, I'm not really too sure of. But my big thing was hauling around a wheelbarrow of mulch because no one else wanted to, screaming service that, to anyone that wanted to listen to me speak. And from there, we ended up having a small barbecue, introducing our, our, our getting introduced to our parents. I had really great parents. Gordon, who was president at the time, ended up being senior coordinator next semester. Nikki, who I just absolutely love to death, and then my, my siblings, Paran and Shakespeare. We had a really good family, really strong family in terms of uh, service and leadership um, and friendship. And then, I mean, just the overall vibe of it, of it was awesome. And to rewind a little bit back to induction, and the, the first brother that I like met and spent time with, Austin, I love him so much. I can't remember what exactly he was wearing, but it was like maybe a bright orange shirt and it like drew me to him and we started having a conversation and I was so drawn to him and his energy that I was like, wow, I'm going to have such a great time here because of the people that are involved in this. If I don't get anything else out of APO, I'm going to walk away with some of the best friends that I've ever had. And that has been the absolute truth. Uh, shout out to John and Lindsay, Teresa and Clara and James Hildago and, and Nikki and Julia and Joelle. Yeah, I just can't, I just can't sing it enough. And to go on to that, I think the day before induction, Joelle came to me. We had had Spanish the semester prior. And I'd always seen her in the in the in the swag and never thought anything of it. And I saw her the, the day before of induction at and at induction. She's like, We're in Spanish. How come you never ask about APO? And I'm like, in there having a mid, mid-panic, like. <laughs> but no, it's been great. And my time as a pledge and inactive while short was certainly the highlight of my Purdue time and, and something that I'll, I'll always uh, cherish. Yeah, absolutely. Those first impressions, like on those first big events like smoke or, or even like the, the rush events, those can make absolutely all the difference. I remember my, my first rush event, people were just playing Smash Bros. I thought that was the coolest thing. How could a fraternity be so cool as to play Smash Bros in a lecture hall? Like, come on. <laughs> you guys had the big screens of a CL50, right? Yep, yep. You, you so know it. Good. So good. Yeah, that was my first impression as well. I met John Cleveland. We played Smash. I actually won a game as Mewtwo, and that was still something I remember. So <laughs> quite the impression. So speaking of APO and impressions, uh, how did you decide that you wanted to become an advisor and leave your own different impression on the chapter? So one of the principles that I believe in as a person more than almost anything is to leave something better than you found it. I don't know what way I will leave APO, but I think this is a great chapter with great people and a great foundation for which we, uh, we perform acts of service and build strong bonds of friendship and brotherhood with each other while developing great leaders in everyone's own individual way. And I decided to become an advisor because I felt when I had graduated that I still had a lot more to give. And while and being an advisor is a different role, 
I, I don't see it being all that different in terms of what I can provide as far as uh, perspective and leadership experience and advice for anyone who decides to seek it. I know that the advisor role isn't necessarily too well-defined. And I know that because of that, I have some flexibility to kind of do these things. And, and I'm really grateful for that. So by the time, whenever it is that I'm done as an advisor, I hope to leave this chapter in a, in a great spot and know that whoever follows after me is set up for success. Yeah, I think that's a really good mentality to approach it with. You mentioned how it's kind of the position is kind of an open book to an extent. Is there anything that you want to accomplish specifically or generally as an advisor? I just want to see people develop their leadership style from the time their pledges and kind of getting their feet wet and kind of really discovering who they are. Because people come in with some leadership experience already. Some people have, have none. And for me, I think the biggest thing that I've seen in the two and a half, almost three years that I've been graduated is the growth and progression of some of the people that I came into APO with. To see, you know, John and Lindsay's PTs, Austin coming back as a, a grad student and being an old master, to see Clara as a sergeant at arms, to see my child, Olivia Smith, as president has been so gratifying for me to see and brings me a lot of pride because while I may not have had as much of an impact in them developing their own leadership styles, they do it by their own experiences. It's really gratifying for me to see that as their friend and as someone who has been there for them and has seen them grow, it's really good for me to see that this chapter is in good hands and will continue to be so for years to come. Keeping up the trend of development, what skills can you say you developed during your time with APO? Definitely better planning skills. My big drive, my big overarching goal in my time as leadership development co-chair, my active semester was to bring in outside entities to bring some kind of specialized training. So like, um, I know QPR was a thing that we did. I don't know if, uh, it was like in its infancy, but I know it was something we did very rarely every now and then. Also, uh, CPR training. I, being a Marine, I, I wanted to bring the opportunity to uh, teach different life-saving skills so that that way anyone could be on the street and like be a first responder and provide those life-saving steps potentially. So we ended up getting maybe 30 brothers trained. We weren't able to get them licensed, but we were able to get that first step into getting them trained to do CPR effectively, which was really good for me. Also, TED Talks and discussion um, was something that I was able to do um, and was able to provide, get good feedback on as well during my time. We focused on a lot of the, uh, the shorter TED Talks, like lollipop moments and things like that. And it was really interesting for me to get to know the experiences of, of our fellow brothers. But for me individually, Public speaking was huge and getting that opportunity to get out in front of our brothers was huge for me because it helped me develop those interpersonal skills that I didn't have previously. And clearly you've developed them pretty far. <laughs> I'm still a work in progress, but I appreciate it. You mentioned that you uh, brought over a lot of skills from the Marines and other life experience you've had to as a leadership development co-chair. Did any of that happen in reverse at all? Did you have any experiences or like changes in your life in APO that you were able to bring to your life as a Marine or as a law and policy major? So 
to look at the look at the school side, to look at the law and society and the sociology side, I will probably never use my degree. Unfortunately, I should have been a teacher. But as far as being an officer in the Marine Corps and having to stand in front of a, for me at the beginning, it was a platoon of 65 Marines and have to tell them, hey, this is what we're doing. So I got to the fleet, finished all my uh, my school training, my logistics officer school training right before the COVID pandemic hit. Literally two weeks before President Trump declared national emergency and everything shut down. So our first thing was, hey, we are going to be prepared if we get the call from FEMA that says, hey, we need help with humanitarian efforts up in New York. So I had to stand in front of my Marines, explain the severity of what was going on at the time and what little we knew and say, hey, this is why we joined the Marine Corps to, to serve our, our citizens and to be uh, you know, the standing model that gets called on in times of crisis. So in three days, we were locked up, cocked up, ready to go, not with weapons or anything, but like with weapon support, with uh, water, food, ready to go and get out the gate at a moment's notice. And then they shut it all down and we had to come up with some different type of training because back then COVID really restricted day-to-day operations and who could come into work and all that. But for me, just having the confidence to get up there in front of 60 people who are all my age or a little younger and be able to speak confidently and eloquently and develop this mission and give them the plan and say, attack it and go and see the results come in was huge for me. And it's something that I, that I'm proud of to this day was being a platoon commander and being that small unit leader and getting to spend that time with the Marines. I was able to spend nine months as their platoon commander. We were able to go out to Yuma, Arizona, get some good training, providing logistics to different units around the, uh, around the desert out in Arizona and in California. It was just incredible to plan and execute all of that. And for me, it's something that I would have never dreamed of if I was sitting here probably 10 or 15 years ago. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's really amazing. And that I can imagine how nerve wracking to a not, not a non-prepared person to speak to 65 Marines. Um, that's, that's really cool. Outside of the Marines, is there anywhere else in your daily life, I suppose, that you use these leadership, leadership and confidence skills and um, for, unfortunately, not at the moment. This this job is a is a pretty extensively full time. the the work The work weeks go anywhere between forty and eighty hours, depending on what we're doing. Um, so I've been able to do it in different ways. I think another big skill I've improved on is interpersonal communication. Working with younger Marines has been big for me because it helps them kind of say, "Hey, I can approach you know my my leaders with anything that I have," because you know. I'm sure you guys have heard the rumors about, you know, some of the toxic parts of the Marine Corps with some of the things we've, uh, some of my predecessors have done in the past with hazing and all that kind of thing and how it's shut off the disc or it's broken the, the trust between the enlisted and the, the officer leaders. And I have devoted a lot of my time to uh, kind of establishing that and making sure that my Marines know that I care and that I'm there for them. And so having that interpersonal communication ability um, has been huge for me. Although it's not outside of the Marine Corps, it is something that that impacts a big part of my day-to-day life. Thinking about the pledge class that we have coming in right now, what sort of advice would you have for any pledges listening? I know at least Trinity will be listening to this. How about the rest <laughs> of <it? laughs> That this chapter, this brotherhood, this organization will be, it'll give you what you put into it. If you're around for 
the uh, the fact that it's a resume booster that you you know did some service and you know you did some leadership development sure but if you really if you have the time to dive in and get fully committed to you know the service aspect getting to know your brothers and strengthen your bonds with them um, and making you know leadership development one of your main focuses and main goals you know, make this thing a passion and it will give that passion right back to you in the form of growth. And the, the brotherhood and the friendships you make here can, will transcend your lifetime. The leadership that you will learn and the, the things you will learn and do as you grow and become a better leader, that'll carry you into the adult world, into the real world. And the service, if you develop a passion for service here, that passion for service will follow you for the rest of your life. And you will subconsciously try to find ways to do something or to give back or something. Dive in, give it your all or as much as you can with school. Be passionate about what you do. And most of all, be a good person. It is this organization and life is a people business. And we don't get anywhere without that aspect and without the team aspect. Everything we do in Alpha Gamma as an active, as a pledge, as an alumni, as an advisor, we make these decisions and we provide our perspectives as part of a team. And I think the moment we lose that is the moment that we lose the bonds that we have. Yeah. And we've heard that APO, you get out what you put in. I think this is the third time now. So I'm starting to sense a trend and I'm really thinking it's true. So for everyone out there, Take that advice, put in some more, see what you get out of it. And the passion for service is definitely something that once you develop it, it follows you everywhere. For me, it was, I went to a private middle school and they made us do service hours, but I was one of the ones who ended up liking service. And so from then on, I've been doing it up until this point. And that's what drove me to ABO. And I'm so glad I found it. I really agree with you on becoming and becoming involved and embracing that enjoyment of of doing stuff for your community for your for your brothers that's that's exactly what this organization is at its core and i fully enjoy that what advice would you give for people who are looking to become more involved like what pathways do you think they could go through to get closer to their brothers look at the events in ap online that are announced in ohana's in the official chat and if they make you raise your eyebrow and say this is weird Go for it. The, the more outlandish ideas that we've had are usually the most fun, usually the most interactive, the most engaging. Um, I don't have any examples, unfortunately, but my goodness, um, some of the, the best times I've had in the chapter were just at random mem events, just getting to know the brothers, getting involved, and from there, getting the same groups out to go do service, inviting other people along. And as the whole COVID-19 situation kind of slowly starts to get better, I think we'll see that sort of resurgence in, you know, service and in brotherhood. And I think it'll be great to see. Definitely. And we've talked a lot about APO and your time in the Marines and that sort of thing. But what about outside of that? What are your favorite hobbies and activities? So for me, um, I really enjoy, you know, working out. I really enjoy running. Um, I'm coming back from an injury, but my goal right now is to run a half marathon by the 4th of July. And then my biggest thing right now is uh, college basketball. I am obsessed with <laughs> Purdue. I am obsessed with Purdue basketball for sure. 
But this has been a really great college basketball season in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic. And I can talk about this all day long. But with March Madness coming up, this is my favorite time of year. You never know what's going to happen. So a lot of my time right now will be focused toward that and kind of seeing how quickly my bracket gets busted. Yeah, I'm a huge basketball fan too. And March Madness is always great, especially having the luxury of going to a basketball school. And Purdue's been great the time that I've been here. Absolutely. We have a really good team coming up. I'm just super excited. I think we can definitely expect you then to be super supportive of basketball type events in APO and we'll absolutely parties or whatnot. Absolutely, I think I think Purdue's got a really good shot. Um, their bracket has it looks really favorable. They're they're a Sweet 16 team. I see them facing Villanova in the second round. Um, Villanova is broken and beaten up, so I see them taking full advantage <laughs> of that. Now, when it gets to the Sweet 16, they're either going to face Baylor or UNC. Ooh. And barring a huge upset, they're going to face either Baylor or UNC. And I think they'll fight, but I don't see them topping Baylor. As far as national championship, who actually wins it all this year, it's tough. But Illinois is the team to beat this year. Um, they have been playing some super solid basketball, especially in the last like month. And Gonzaga, sure, they're unbeaten right now, but they're, they're, they're due for a loss. And it's going to come somewhere in this tournament. Yeah, either way, this is a really good learning experience, especially for how young our team is. And we've just defied a lot of the expectations. And the future is just bright. It is really bright. That's the thing. And I, I'm all over Purdue basketball Twitter with this, too. They're going to be even better next year, which is incredible to think about. Yeah. And, and the Big Ten is more the same. As much as they cannibalize on themselves, especially toward the end of the season, it's just incredible to see such good basketball being played just consistently. Up next on AP Oddcast, we got our sports commentator, Paul Tobal, coming in with this update on Purdue basketball. <laughs> you got it. You got it. Well, speaking of sports, I'm going to throw you a curveball here. And now here comes the famous question. If you were on a desert island and you had to survive without one of your senses, which sense would you sacrifice and why? Oh, you're going to make me think long and hard on this one. Um, <laughs> so what I'm on a, what I'm on a deserted Island, right? Yep. Probably my ability to hear. I think uh, that'll help me. Uh, I think with the whole, uh, your other senses strength and concept, I think my ability to feel and like learn like the ground movement and like uh, all that kind of stuff will, will help uh, supplement that. Um, I need to be able to see um, what I'm doing. Um, sure, I'll have to be on my guard a little bit more for you know whatever comes my way. But I think if I lose my ability to touch or taste, I'm just done for. I need to be able to eat and enjoy what I'm eating. But at the same time, I know in that same vein, I know one of your questions is uh, what album would you be stuck with? I guess with losing the sense of hearing, I, it wouldn't really matter too much. But if I had my hearing, the one album I would keep on there is... <laughs> The Eagles' greatest hits. I'm a big fan of the Eagles and their songs. Um, I can listen to Hotel California on repeat all day long. And uh, the number two runner-up is uh, Stevie Ray Vaughan's greatest hits. I'm a very big guitar fan. So um, the Eagles are great, and Stevie Ray Vaughan is one of my favorite guitarists of all time. So. Good thing you didn't give up taste. So now if you ever want some apple juice, you just got to boat your way over to Trinity's Island. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Paul, I guess I guess for your sake, I'll throw in a caveat. You don't get to listen to anything, but when you want to, you get to listen to the Eagles' greatest hits album for I'll take it. however many times you want to. I'll take it. All right. 
Well, that's going to about wrap it up today. Thank you so much for joining us today, Paul. It's been a great time talking to you. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Of course. Thank you to everyone else listening. Be sure to stay tuned to hear about upcoming episodes. And thanks so much. This has been AP Oddcast.